Welcome to Crosslink Community Church Podcast, where we prize Jesus, make disciples, and love people well. We are so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe you will be more acquainted with the heartbeat of God through today's message. Good morning. How, how are we doing? <laughs> it is uh, Grove City Alumni Weekend. Did you know that? It, it is astonished to me. Like every time you like live somewhere else, move somewhere else, um, kind of the um, idiosyncrasies of that particular area, and it's always uh, amazed uh, me on how um, uh, how sports centric Grove City is, uh, sp- specifically around baseball and softball. Um, I don't know if you've played softball like in the church league competitive league but uh yeah that's intense it is so um but yeah here we are this morning hey we're gonna we're gonna be in hebrews chapter 11 uh and then genesis uh this morning is uh, i got a lot i'm gonna read to you um uh, because i want to kind of get us on the same page with an event that took place um but uh, anyone here have siblings yeah, how's that working? It's like depending on the day, right? Like siblings are one of those things where one moment, at one moment you want to hug them, and the other moment you kind of you kind of just want to push them off the ledge. Anyone ever feel that way? Uh, anyone grow up in a house full of like siblings? Like a lot of you? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I have I have one sister and two younger uh, brothers, and uh, and I, I, I you know growing up in, in our home. Um, I guess we could say things like, we didn't always like each other. I don't know if you've ever been there, but, um, and here's the thing, my mom's not here this morning, she went back to Florida uh, for a week, and so she doesn't like when I share this story. So this is okay. Um, because here's what happened. There, there was a moment uh, when my sister and I were asked to go outside in the backyard to play. Uh, I, I don't know um, if, if this happened when you were growing up, but she sent us out into the backyard, fenced in the backyard, uh, safe, all right? Uh, we lived out in the country, sent us out there, and she shut the door, and this is the part of the story she doesn't like me to tell. She locked the door. So we couldn't get back inside. And uh, But that's okay, that was in the 90s. You could do that back then, and it was okay. Uh, but for for us, we were out there playing in our in our sandbox, having, having a great time. And then here, now, to this day, nobody but my sister and I believe this story. Nobody, right? But this is how it happened. We're sitting outside, we're playing in the sandbox, and then all of a sudden, um, there was this, this uh, bull. Now, I, I struggle saying certain words, and bull is one of them. Not the bull you eat out of, but this one. We, okay, so if I say something that's confusing, it's this bull. Not this one. Anyways, there was a bull that came um, to the fenced-in area where we were at, and my sister's freaking out. And I'm like, I got you. I'll save you. I'll protect you, because that's the kind of brother I was, right, in the moment. And so we're playing in the sandbox. This, this, this animal, all right, came up to the fence. I kid you not, got on its hind legs on the fence. I think it was growling. <laughs> Don't look at me like this didn't happen. I'm telling you, this happened. And uh, do, do you remember those... Uh, uh, bubble lawnmowers? Were you? 
<laughs> uh, where you push it and the bubbles get. So, so I had one of those. And in order to protect my sister, because because I loved her in that moment, on that day. Because I could change, right? So I loved her in that moment. So, so to protect her, I took my lawnmower that I had, and I swung and threw it at this bolt. And it stayed there. And so my sister ran back to bang on the door to let us in. And my mom's cleaning the house. She's like, I'm going to ignore them for the next hour and a half. And so she didn't open the door. And so we were out there alone. Oh, it was somebody. Alone with this vicious animal. Thank you for that forced help. Uh, and then so here's what ends up happening is my mom finally comes out after the bull left. Now, I, this was as real. Like, my sister and I talk about this. We both remember this, but no, everyone else thinks we're crazy. Like, we're crazy. It's your fault. You locked us out of the house, all right? Either way, I don't know if you've had siblings. You have ups and downs. You have moments where things are great. You have moments where things are difficult, where they annoy you, where they really make you mad. Uh, either way, um, I don't think any of us have siblings uh, like that of Joseph. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read to you. We've been in this series called Faith Over Failure, uh, going through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. This will get us through um, the next uh, few weeks, get us through summer, um, and then we'll start something new in a bit. But uh, I have found um, Hebrews chapter 11 to be quite challenging um, because if all we do is read Hebrews chapter 11, divorce from the rest of the, the, the scriptures, then what we end up doing is placing these the men and women in here on pedestals as if they had this kind of invincible faith that got them through all these dark times and they never uh, made any mistakes or wrongdoings. But then when we go back to the events and the stories, what we see is, um, man, these, the men and women in this text struggled greatly, had many ups and downs, and we'll see one of those here this morning. So in Hebrews chapter um, 11, we're going to start in verse 19. Uh, 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. In verse 22, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. It's an interesting statement for Joseph. Uh, if you were not here last week, I dealt with the conclusion of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Sarah. And I dealt with the fact that God and his audacity asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, his one and only son. And dealt with it. I, I, would, I would encourage you to go back and, and kind of listen to that because here's what happens. We all have treasure that we place before God. And I think what God wants to do is kind of get down to the heart and root of that. And sometimes we don't even know what that treasure is. And still, until we start seeing that it's the very thing that takes us from God's words and God's people. And so I encourage you to go back to that. But we concluded Abraham and Isaac. And uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to go through Jacob and Esau. We're going to land in the life of Joseph. And the fact that Hebrews chapter 11 only mentions the end of Joseph's life is very interesting to me. Because... For most of Joseph's life, he's the one in this kind of group of people or collection of people that, that seem to have been pretty steadfast in his faithfulness. Outside of a little bit of arrogance, but who, what 18-year-old isn't? Let's be honest. 
And he was a little confident, but outside of that, most of his life he lived in a faithful way. And what we see here is that Joseph is recognized as a man of faith because he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And here's why this is important. We'll start from the end and go back. Genesis ends with Joseph's death. Joseph's death and Joseph's life was what brought the Israelites into Egypt. Brought the Israelites into Egypt for their own protection, growth, and health. They needed to be there because of the famine, which we'll get to in a moment. But what ends up happening is that they outgrow um, the Egyptians' desire, and so they start to multiply, and Pharaoh gets nervous and scared, and so what he ends up doing is taking the people who were rescued by Egypt because of famine through Joseph, then put into bondage and slavery for 400 years. 400 years. The Israelites are in bondage and slavery. And Joseph, before they go into slavery, meaning while things were still going well, made mention, hey, when God comes to rescue you out of here, please take my bones with you. So his faith not only was kind of what got him through his life, but his faith was also this kind of cornerstone for the Israelites to remember, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, remember, God is coming. And here's your remembrance. Take my bones with you. And so his faith is quite impressive. But let's go through some of his life, if, if you would. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. We're, we're going to finish the last 14 chapters of Genesis this morning. <laughs> we'll go through quick, I promise. It won't take very long. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, we're going to pick up in a moment in uh, Genesis 37, verse 12. Let me give you the quick backstory. Joseph wakes up one morning, walks into the kitchen, watch where his family is at, his other brothers, the other 11 brothers, his uh, mom and dad, and has a couple dreams. He tells his parents and his brothers his dreams. Essentially, the dreams are, one day you're going to bow to me. Doesn't go over very well with the brothers, right? They already don't like him because he was born of Rebecca, which was um, kind of the favorite one. And so in all of this, Joseph seemed to be favored. And so you add that with this kind of arrogance of you're going to eventually bow down to me. Didn't set well with the siblings. And so this is what happens. Verse 12. Now his brothers went to a pasture, their father's flock near Shechem. Verse 13, and Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said, go, or he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent uh, him from the valley of Hebron uh, and came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And man asked him, uh, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have, um, they have gone away, for I heard them say they're going to Donathan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at uh, Donathan. Verse 18, they saw him. The brothers saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. 
any dispute you've ever had with a sibling is pale right now, right? Compare, compare, I don't know, maybe in your family you had something that they could try to kill you, right? Uh, either way, at this moment, because of the arrogance and the favoritism, the brothers didn't like Joseph. They see Joseph coming, and their reaction, what they want to do in this moment is, you know what, let's just kill this guy. Let's, let's get rid of him. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of it, Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him, um, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came, his brothers stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors, that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit, and the pit was empty and there was no water. Imagine that homecoming. Joseph, by direction of his dad, is just walking to go see how his brothers are doing. And not only did his brothers conspire to kill him, but in that moment, the moment that Joseph got there, they ripped his clothes off of him and threw him in a pit. It's crazy. This is, this is not um, some story. These are events that have taken place in this man, Joseph, I would argue, not deserving of this, but meets his brothers and gets stripped and thrown into a pit. And then look at this verse. Then they sat down to eat. What? Lunchtime. But like, how do you how do you do that? Like, how do you do like what seems to be a pretty heinous thing? And then like, you know what? Kind of hungry. Worked up an appetite. That was harder than I thought. Let's go eat. This is insane. They sit down. No remorse. Start eating. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Now remember, way back when we dealt with Ishmael, Israel's greatest enemy. Oh, by the way, Jacob renamed Israel in this moment. Now Israel's favorite son in a pit is about to be sold to his greatest enemy. Israelites coming down from Gilead. Uh, with their camels bringing gum, bomb, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? <laughs> Come, let us sell him to the Israelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and he drew Joseph out and lifted him out of this pit, and he sold them to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? And then they took Joseph's robe. See this. Any Bible nerds, scholars, any Bible nerds in the room? They took the robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent that robe of many colors and brought it to their fathers and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. They took the robe of Joseph, killed a goat, covered it in blood. And deceived their father with that robe. If you forgive me, the father is his name is Jacob. 
Jacob earlier on in his life put goat hair on his skin and wore his brother's clothes to deceive his, deceive his own father. The irony is interesting that now the one who deceived to get a blessing earlier is now being deceived by clothes of his favorite son. It just reminds you and I, as we work through the scriptures, that there's nothing new under the sun. It's almost like we find things repeating themselves over and over again. Even in our own lives, we find ourselves in similar pits than we were in before. It's the normal thing for us as humans to constantly find ourselves back in the same positions, back to what we know. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him, Joseph is without doubt torn in pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put on sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Um, if you turn over, uh, I, I encourage you to read, uh, read Genesis 38 in your own time. It's a very interesting insertion. Uh, it's in the middle of the Joseph story, and it kind of reads like a Jerry Springer show. So you can do that on your own time. Uh, anyways, turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 39. Um, and as we continue on the story, it's fascinating. So far, Joseph's brother's angry throw him into a pit, sell him off, deceive their father, and then Joseph is sold to Egypt, to Potiphar, and that's where we will pick up. I'm going to read a little bit more and then talk. Here we go. Now Joseph had been brought down, 39 verse 1, brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had bought him uh, down, brought him down here. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Uh, so he, even though his brothers abandoned him, sold him, God has not left his son. And he gets sold into slavery. And note that the, the, the Egyptian master notices that the Lord is with him, which is insane. We don't know how long that took. But verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him an overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. So he left that um, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. This sounds interesting, coming from a guy who was betrayed by his brother, sort of to a pit and sold into slavery. He probably had every reason to be better, angry, frustrated. 
Yet, as he was sold into slavery, there was something going on in the heart and mind of Joseph that was tethered to God himself that caused favor to fall on Joseph's life to such a degree that the Egyptian master said, there's something different about this guy. I'm going to put him in charge of everything. So now Joseph is now in charge of everything. You're like, awesome. I love a redemption story. A story where a guy was brought to his lowest point and then rescued out of that, snatched out of that moment, and then put back on this kind of place of prominence and position. Just, just didn't last very long. Look what happens. Now Joseph was a handsome man in four man appearance. Like that's written down in the Bible. Right? Like, like some of us brag about our looks, like you think you look better than you do. Uh, the Bible doesn't lie, and so it said Joseph pretty handsome. Awesome. All right, anyways. I mean, that could be a good verse, description of you. Like other verses, like Peter get behind me, Satan. Like that's not very good. This one, great. Now Joseph was a handsome man in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. And said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then? Look at Joseph's resolve. How then? Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So this woman is trying to seduce Joseph, and in his faithfulness and his resolve, he stands up and says, No, this is amazing, awesome. Because let's be honest for a moment from the pit to slavery, there probably were not many options when it came to women. And then he got raised to prominence, and now all of a sudden, the main woman, the master's wife, <coughs> finds him attractive and tries to seduce him. And he was, stands his ground. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Verse 11. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. Persistent she was. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And soon, as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of the house and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted my voice, and he cried out. He left the garment beside me and fled to go outside of the house. Then she laid up his garment until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words 
that his wife spoke to him. This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. From a pit to prominence to prison. Like as far as I can tell, he hasn't done anything wrong. He's been lied on and deceived a few times. And in this moment, the man who the Lord had favor on is now, based on a lie, being thrown in prison. Look at what he says, verse 21. This, this is what astonishes me. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Wait a second. I have a problem. Is that okay? The Lord was with Joseph? Where was the Lord when all these lies were happening? Anyone ever have a problem with being lied about? You, you ever want someone to be finally seen for who they are? You ever start asking God, listen, why am I the one always falling into these situations? And this person who's lying and not being truthful always seems to get away. What is going on here? God, you could have easily intervened for Joseph. The Egyptian master already knew that he had your attention and favor. So in the grand council, when his verdict was being set, you could have said something. This is not true. It was actually your wife, Potiphar, who seduced him. And then she would have been thrown in prison and he would have stayed where he's at. That seems to be the right action for someone who's faithful. I don't know about you, but in our crazy days in entitlement Christianity, we believe that favor always follows faithfulness and that people are always blessed if they stay faithful. This doesn't seem to be that way. But what is interesting is God always follows the faithful, even in the prison where they go. I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather have God's faithfulness or faithfully be beside me and never leave me than favor with me. Because the unfortunate thing is oftentimes this life hits pretty hard and I want to know that there's something that anchors me. I want to know that there's someone who remains with me even when everyone else runs. So, he's thrown in prison and the Lord was with Joseph and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. 
Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Everyone around Joseph saw that the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So Joseph remains in prison. Um, and then what happens, I'm not going to read you the rest. You can read the rest of this part later. But while Joseph is in prison, there's two guys who have dreams. And they go to Joseph and say, hey, do you know what these dreams mean? He tells one of them, the, the baker, yeah, you're going to die. He doesn't like that. He's, uh, tells the cupbearer, you're going you're gonna to live. This is the Jeremy version. Um, and what happens is the baker does die. And the cupbearer does live. And whatever takes place that Joseph said happens. And uh, the crazy part is um, all Joseph says, hey, remember me when you, when you get out. And uh, it literally says in uh, chapter 40 um, that the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. <laughs> how, how? Like you forgot about the guy who told you everything's going to happen? Forgot about him. So Joseph remains in prison for what we know, another two years. He forgot about him. He remained in prison for two years. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh had a dream. And he wanted someone to interpret it. And then the cupbearer remembered it. But before we get to that, I want to deal with, I think, the clear problem that we still have today. Why do these things keep happening to Joseph? Uh, it, it seems that he is doing well, staying faithful, then a grave injustice happens, and he finds himself in a pit, and then he finds himself in a prison. And I wonder if the first question Joseph had while being cast into a prison was not, again? Why is this happening to me again? And there are probably moments in your life, in my life, when we look around and see injustice happen in the lives of others or rainstorm after rainstorm happens in your own life and you begin to ask a similar question, why me? Or maybe, why my mom? Why is my friend going through storm after storm after storm? Can we get some reprieve? For once. Just, just so I make sure I, I have the right audience in the room. Has anyone ever felt like when it rains, of course? That wasn't, that, that, that didn't help me. Raise, raise your hand if you've ever felt like when it rains, of course. Okay, thank you. Just want to make sure you're the right audience. I was going to send you out and just record. When it rains, like it seems like. When one thing falls apart, everything else starts to fall apart. You start asking yourself the question, why is this happening? Some of us get to the point, for honest, where we begin questioning God. We start to hear statements like, if God is good, why would he let these things happen to me? Or if God loved me, why are these things happening? 
Or if I just throw out the general statement, the statement I said in the video of the introduction that posted on Saturday, um, why do bad things happen to good people? Joseph seemingly seems good, faithful, result, resilient, and yet he still finds himself in a pit and in a prison. So if we could, I just want to take a brief moment and talk about why did all of these bad things happen to Joseph, who was seemingly good and faithful? I think the first thing that you and I need to identify is what is good. But anyone ever asks you the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You need to respond with this, what's good? Because most of the time they'll point to like their saintly grandmother. Like there's, she's had just a bad, bad dealt of a hand. Like it's just not, why, why is this going on? Because what ends up happening is good is now relative. There was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus, walked up to Jesus and says, good teacher. Jesus answers the question for us. He looks at this rich young ruler and he says, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God himself. All right, so those are the red letters. Jesus says, no one's good. And then if you want a little bit more, go read Romans chapter 3, and that identifies for you and I that humanity in and of itself is not good. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And so the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? We first have to then identify who do we consider is good and compared to what? What's the standard? What's the standard of goodness that we're measuring up to? Because if the standard is, I'm good compared to Ted Bundy, Good. I'll be good for a while. If, if what we do is consider that the people who we don't see in their lives, they're making any wrong decisions ever, they're always calm and collective when they're driving down the road and someone cuts them off, they're still sweet about it. They're gentle. They're awesome. You're thinking about someone like that. That's not me. Someone cuts me off. I get angry. Just going to let you know. But maybe there's someone in your life you've observed they do the right thing. It seems to be the right thing always. You're like, why does something bad happen to them? Because it doesn't matter how right we are or look, we are still not good. There's only one who's good, and it's God. And he sent his son down here who was good to become bad so those who are bad could become good. And so what happens here? is no matter how good Joseph looks, he's not good. Um, so I guess the question we should ask is why, why does God allow anything good to happen to those who are bad? Should that be a question? Like, should we be, like, just utterly grateful when something good happens in our life because we know we couldn't earn it, we don't deserve it, it's only by the general grace of God that we can actually receive this goodness. It would change our heart's position when we finally acknowledge the fact, I'm not good, I'm innately bad, but there's one who sees me for how bad I am, yet invites me into his good presence through his perfect son. Changes everything. And so, as much as we think we look good, we're not good. And all of us, every one of us in this room, 
We'll navigate through life and we will have ups and downs. We will have successes and failures. We'll have pits and prominence and mountaintops and valleys and joy and heartbreak and seasons of light and seasons of darkness. In fact, I would argue and contend that God allows all of those seasons in our lives. We're going we're gonna to see that play out. Many people don't like this. You know why Joseph ended up in a pit? It's where God wanted him. No, God doesn't do that. I don't know. We'll see in a moment. You know why Joseph ended up in prison? Probably because Potiphar's wife lied on him. Because that's where God wanted him in a moment. Can we get to the place where we start to acknowledge the good and the bad that comes in our lives, that God is up to something? Can we stop thinking that it's God that gives us the candy and it's Satan that takes it all away? But that maybe this season of turmoil and difficulty, God's trying to teach and show us something. Maybe one, that he hasn't left us or abandoned us, that he's still there. But he's trying to show and teach and guide and direct. In fact, I think, that could be wrong. I think that he uses every season to grow and mature you and I, changing us from one degree of glory to the next until we begin to look like his son, Jesus. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, just not out loud right now. <laughs> our best time of growth and our best time of learning is in the pit. When we finally stop complaining and struggling to get out, God's voice becomes louder. His truth digs deeper. His presence becomes more tangible. And we begin to grow and mature. What we need to remember is that God is faithfully with us on the mountaintops and in the valleys. We, see, we have seen this clearly in Joseph's life and many others through Scripture. Let me give you a text. It'll go up on the screen. You can write it down. Romans 8, 28. This is what it says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It's a scripture. It seems to be taken out of context a lot. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and we know that God, those who love God, um, all good things come to them. That's what it says. What it says is that for those who love God, all things will work together for good. So everything, everything that happens in your life, God is orchestrating and moving so that it works out for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes it's worked out in pain and it's for our good. Because it got us to go left instead of right, where we wanted to go right. And if we would have went right, we would have been destroyed. Okay? So we see this pain, but it's actually goodness. We're like, no, no. No, I call pain good. No, that's what happens. Can you imagine for a moment if God was to illuminate in our lives 
all the things that he kept us from going into that would devour us, and he kept us going there by falling into a pit before it. How amazing would we then rejoice in the pit? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I fell in this pit and broke my leg. If I would have kept going, I fell off the cliff, got eaten by alligators. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> it sounded painful, though. Like, what? God is doing in your life. Always. Always doing. Always doing. He's not stopped. You may feel like you're in a drought. You may feel like he hasn't come through. You may feel like he's not there. But he has not stopped working all things together for our good. And our good always lines up with his will. (laughs) Which means if you still want it to work out via your will, it's not going to seem like good very often. But he's never stopped. We're about to see how the story ends and how much Joseph grew through the pits and the prisons. Um, in fact, can I say something to you? Uh, one of the ways you know there was growth in the pit where there was maturation or maturing through the ups and downs is that your desire for reconciliation is there and it overshadows your need for refusal, hate, or revenge. If you know that you have grown in the pit, in the prison, you will always desire reconciliation, not revenge. C.S. Lewis says it this way, um, we, can, we can't doubly, or be doubly fruitful until we are also forgetting. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis described hell as a place where no one forgets anything, remembering every slight, every cruel exchange of words, every wrong ever done to them, and everybody is utterly unforgiving. But in heaven, all these things are put away because all things have become new. This is why people say life is hell on earth. Most of the time, because you're hanging on to bitterness and wrongs and hateful, difficult things you won't let go of. And all it's doing is causing us to live and operate in the earthly kingdom instead of the heavenly one. Now, please hear me out. Anything we're going through is not trivial. And a lot of people are through some dark pains and some dark difficulties. But that's what the pits are for. For growth. Let's, let's conclude the story. Go to Genesis 45. I want you to see this. Um, many things that happen. Uh, Joseph um, interprets the dreams of Pharaoh for him. Pharaoh's like, I need a guy who's as wise as you. So why don't you take me? Cool, you're it. Pharaoh, this is my rendition again. Pharaoh takes Joseph uh, and makes him um, the one who oversees the outcomes of the the dream. And so what the dream was is that there's going to be seven years of uh, uh, plenty. Um, there's going to be seven years, probably seven years of, of famine. And uh, so Joseph's like, hey, let's take all this food that's rationed out during the years of plenty. So we have plenty when we're in the years of famine. And so that's what he does. And so what happens during this time is Joseph is now at a prominent position in Egypt. 
Joseph's brothers were sent by his father to go to Egypt to buy grain because there's grain there because now they're in famine. And so Joseph's brothers go and Joseph sees them. And his immediate reaction was he wept. And then he gathered himself and he sends the brothers through a collection of tests. Just because you don't want revenge doesn't mean you don't want people to squirm a little bit. It's <laughs> <laughs> end the story. Uh, so he puts them through a few tests. And uh, they, um, he says, hey, you need to bring back your, your younger brother, Benjamin. And they're like, we can't bring him back. Dad won't let him come back. He's like, no, you, you need to bring him back here. And so he sent them off with this grain uh, and, and gave them the money back. They didn't know about it. They thought they, it, all this thing happened. They go back. They're delayed. They actually don't go back to Egypt to get um, one of their brothers who's been tied up there by Joseph until they've run out of grain they bought from Egypt, which is crazy to me. They're like, we're not going back. They run out of grain. Dad's like, we need to send you back. And like, can't go back without Benjamin. He's like, you're not taking Benjamin. Like, we're going to take him. We're not going back. So all this happens. They go back with Benjamin and um, puts them through a few more tests. Read all on your own if that didn't make any sense. Um, Genesis 45, verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, they don't know he's Joseph yet. Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, said, I am uh, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now prior to this moment, let me just, I want to backtrack. Verse 1 says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, he made everyone go out, so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the whole household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph was weeping. And this is what he says to his brothers who betrayed him, threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery, brought forth all the highs and lows in his life. Verse 5 says this, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. What does he learn in a pit that he can let go of the hatred that he probably carried around with him for a little while, if not a long while? What did he do? What happened in the pit and the prison that got him to such a place where he could look at his brothers, his deceivers, and say, listen, don't be angry at yourselves. Judy, you've probably been beating yourself up for years. Stop. Benjamin, you're probably glad that you are now the only son of Rebecca. That's cool. Stop being angry at yourself. That's not about you, but man, that takes that takes a lot of humility and growth to one look at your deceivers and forgive them, and two, recognize that it wasn't them who did it, but it was God working to get you where you needed to be. 
So the famine has been in the land these two years. There are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. What's crazy is all the brothers know in this moment is that he is a very wealthy, important man in Egypt. His brothers at the moment don't know the story that got him to this place of glory. And the story was difficult and trying. And yet he's here. And he says, who brought me here? God. My last few verses. The end of the life. Genesis 50. One of the most popular ones in Joseph's story. Verse 15 says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did. So they still thought that the reason why Joseph was acting the way he was was because his father was still there. But the moment his father would pass away, then all the anger that he's been subduing would now come to the surface. And so the brothers don't really learn. They deceive again, which is crazy to me. That um, in the face of being forgiven, we still are scoundrels. You're literally forgiven by the one you kicked into a pit. And you're struggling with that. And so your way to deal with that is still to manipulate. Verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before we died. <laughs> Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin. He already did. <laughs> this thing has already happened. And the servants of God, of your father, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Look at this. This is insane. Do not fear. For I am in the place of God. You know what gets you to that place? Pits and prisons. Successes and failures. Joy and heartache. What gets you to a place where you can say, I'm in the place of God, is after you've endured what life has tended to throw at you, as you have learned in the pits and grown in the prisons. Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. Verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for. What is it? Thank you. God meant it for what? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And then Genesis 50 concludes with Joseph dying. Um, man, I don't know what you've been going through. 
I don't know if you've had many ups and downs. I don't know if you're trying to find out what God is doing, what he's trying to teach you. I don't know if in your position right now, you're like, God, you must not be good because everything bad is happening in my life. I've given you a try. I've tried to focus this, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Whatever has happened in your life, whatever has happened, anything that has happened that even looks evil, God can use it for your good. It doesn't erase the pain. It doesn't get rid of some of the feelings that are there. That's a process. But what I can tell you is that God is faithfully there. He won't leave you nor forsake you. He got you, even in your darkest moments. And please don't rely on your feelings to know what I'm saying is true. How I know it's true is because the Bible tells me it's true. He will not leave me nor forsake me. Even in my darkest hour, I feel like you're you see, we, we've got to get to a place where we're willing to grow and learn in the pits, in the prisons, so that when we're on the mountaintops and in the good seasons, we will talk more about how gracious and beautiful the one who is faithful is and less about our story and less about what I'm doing or who I am. When we recognize that God is at work and he's working all things out for good, it's humbling. And it's grateful. Gratefulness is our response. So close your eyes for a moment. Lights are going to go out. There's going to be people who are going to come to my left and my right willing to pray with you. Um, here's all my ask. Man, if you've been in a heavy season, find someone to pray with you. Don't, don't walk through it alone. If you're trying to figure out what it is that God is up to and trying to do in your life, just spend some time trying to listen to his voice in this moment. If God has recently rescued you out of the pit, then man, use this moment as this song that Sierra Leeds is going on to sing and to rejoice and to say thank you. If you know that God is whittling away at you right now, the best thing you can do is humble yourself before him and say, have your way. But here's my challenge, man. If you've been rescued out of the pit and you are in a good spot, man, make sure, make sure that you love on those who are still in that pit. So as I pray, the invitation is to respond how it is that God is leading you. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for being near when we're in the valley. valley. Thank you for remaining faithful. Thank you for listening and hearing and patiently enduring all of our complaining until you rescue us out of the pit of the miry bog that we find ourselves in. This morning, I just pray that you just send a spirit of peace in this room. No matter the turmoil that we are walking through, that in this moment right here, your peace becomes incredibly tangible. And it's a sweet moment that we can rest in. Father, we love you. Thank you for listening to Crosslink Community Church Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.crosslinkchurch.com or join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10.20 a.m.
Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message and share with a friend. Thank you again for listening.